Today's episode of The Shamrock is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission, fees, or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing or ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to shamrock.robinhood.com. That's shamrock.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. A free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson in South Bend. He's Matt Fortuna in Chicago. Uh, we're sort of a, uh, a catch-all Shamrock podcast. We've got some roster news, but it's more to do with one of Notre Dame's opponents. Um, Super Bowl, some Notre Dame connections there. Staff hires that I think are coming down the stretch here, but haven't formally been made, considering Notre Dame has a junior day coming up in a little bit more than a week. Um, some depth chart stuff to talk about. If you're on The Athletic, you probably saw my 2020 first looks for offense, defense, and special teams. But the most angsty topic of the week was the ACC schedule, Matt, uh, and you being uh, an ACC savant from a previous life. Um, what uh, Was Clemson getting a bye week before Notre Dame the most obvious scheduling quirk of the century, or would it, would it fall behind something else? Uh, no, I, I think we all expected that to come. And uh, look, I, I understand why Notre Dame fans may not be thrilled about that. Uh, I look at it where if I'm the ACC, of course I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to protect my property. Yes. I'm going to protect my biggest brand. And it's funny that this comes a week after the Pac-12 released the schedule, and I sent out a tweet uh, when that happened. Uh, it's pretty much the complete opposite of what the Pac-12 does with USC, which may not be its best program present yeah. day, but like it's no. definitely the biggest blue blood there, and they've gotten no breaks whatsoever from their schedule. I mean, Larry Scott also wants Clay Helton out. <laughs> clearly, I mean, they have a Friday night game. USC, this is at Utah, who's a two-time defending South Division champion. Their November has at Oregon, hosts Washington, at UCLA, which is a rivalry game, and, of course, uh, hosting the Irish, another rivalry game, at the end of the year. Uh, last year, 2019, the, every team in the country got two buys, except for USC. Their second buy would have come before the Pac-12 title game, which they did not qualify for. In 2017, they didn't get a single buy. They played 12 straight games. And you know what happened? They lost their one conference game on a Friday night, at Washington State in a very close game. And as unimpressive as that USC team was, and Notre Dame fans know that firsthand after seeing the Irish beat them by 35 points, it probably could have been worse. Uh, I think a 12-1 USC with an undefeated Pac-12 record uh, gets into the playoff that year. And they did it because of basically a schedule loss. And uh, all that's a long way of saying Thank you, ACC, for protecting your biggest brand. It's pretty much the only tough game Clemson is probably going to have next year, assuming it will be tough. And if you can make it easier for them, then you better do that. 
Yeah, I mean, look, Clemson's schedule. It, I don't know if you watched the video of the Clemson players trying to play essentially Pictionary with the teams that there are on their slate. Um, I believe their freshman quarterback DJ. You want to pronounce yeah, his last name I'll, for I'll me? Leave that to uh, you. We'll know it soon enough. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. He had Notre Dame and drew some stars, which didn't really make sense at all. Um, but, I mean, this is Clemson's schedule. Georgia Tech, Louisville, Akron, Virginia, Boston College, Florida State, NC State, Syracuse, bye week, Notre Dame. I think the C here is the Citadel, opposed to Columbia yes, or Charleston. Um, yes. Wake Forest and then South Carolina. I mean, it's like pretty good chance you're going to play like one and a half ranked teams and Notre Dame will be the one. So it's, it's I, a buy before it. Notre just, Dame and a buy after Notre Dame. If you include the Citadel, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, right exactly. There. But we get into the whole, uh, you know, 13th game. Well, your 13th game is actually the Citadel or Akron, you know, for Notre Dame, they have a bye week before Duke as does Duke before Notre Dame and Duke precedes Clemson. So it's, I mean, if you're Notre Dame, I think it's set up, pretty much as well as you could expect. Um, so, I, you know, last year I think there was certain there certainly was a lot of complaining about, I believe it was seven teams had bye weeks before, um, before playing Notre Dame. Notre Dame won all of those games. Uh, Notre Dame had its bye week before Michigan on a date where Michigan went on the road to play at Penn State and lost a very, very difficult game. You know, ultimately I didn't, Obviously, it didn't matter based on the results of, of Notre Dame and Michigan a week later. But uh, if you're Notre Dame, your bye week's in the middle of the season. You play Duke before Clemson. That's as much as a warm-up as your schedule is probably going to allow in in October, November. I feel like if you're Notre Dame, you feel, you feel pretty good about that overall. If you're Notre Dame, uh, and I will reinforce this because I know I've said it before, you play two true road games next year. Just don't don't complain ever. Like you just can't. I'm sorry. Like you know what's putting a gun to your head to open up in Ireland against Navy on August 29th. I mean that's a complete university choice. And look, I think it'll be a cool event and it'll be cool for those of you who are lucky to go to Dublin in August, Pete. But uh, thank you. It will. Just, <laughs> and they get to buy before Arkansas. But um, yeah. two true road games. Like uh, who else does that? And look, if you can get away with it, good for you. I mean, I I don't blame you, but. Your two true road games are also in NFL stadiums, Pittsburgh and USC, which I guess won't be an NFL stadium by the time they play there next year. But, uh, you know, they're both in pro markets where it's not exactly the most raucous home environment. I mean, they play their Wake Forest game in Charlotte. I imagine that game will be at worst 50-50. I, I think you'll probably be more Notre Dame fans. They play Wisconsin and Green Bay, which I think that's actually technically Notre Dame's home game, right? And the Soldier Field one it is, is Wisconsin's. Yeah. Um, Probably be more Wisconsin fans, but, you know, Notre Dame fans who have money to burn are, are going to want to go to Lambeau because that's a bucket list item, and that's going to be a fun game. I mean, it's not going to be overwhelming one way or another. Um, and what's it? Oh, Georgia Tech, they play Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which, yeah, again, you look at correct. that area, big market, um, I think there will be quite a few Irish fans there as well. So um, two true road games, and they're at Pittsburgh and at USC, where even Pittsburgh, I mean, there are a lot of Notre it's Dame fans. It's an NFL stadium. There. A lot of Irish Catholics there. It's an NFL stadium. Uh, and then USC is always a wild card because you never know how good or bad they'll be and whether they've given up or whether they're playing for something by the last game of the season. But, um, look, it's the price of being an independent. You get all these cool things like two true road games and a trip to Dublin and Lambeau Field, and you get uh, Clemson getting their best shot against you uh, coming off a bye. So uh, that, that's just, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. No, I mean, I don't – and on this one, I don't think anyone around Notre Dame would complain about this one. It's uh, it's a perfectly laid-out schedule. I mean, right down to 
the bye week falling on midterm break, which is sort of what Notre Dame, that's how they like it to be. They play, I think, Pittsburgh right. during midterm exams, which can be a little bit tricky. I think they ran into that two years ago, also against Pittsburgh. Uh, and then, you know, they have a week off before getting ready for Duke and then Clemson after that. So it's uh, it's it, it's, it's kind of weird to think about the schedule the way you laid it out where the, you know, the number of true road games, if – if you wanted to say, you know, I think that we would all probably include the Memorial Coliseum as being on campus at USC, you know, at, right. maybe it's just off. But that that's the only sort of on-campus road game that they play, um, which is crazy. And, you know, that's sort of half on campus, um, you know, depending on how you, your point of view there. So it's uh, I think it's a good, good schedule for Notre Dame, the bye weeks with the ACC, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, I think, is off before Notre Dame. Duke is off, but Notre Dame is also off. And then Clemson's off. So all those bye weeks sort of fall around uh, at the same time. You know, I do. I think that the the tricky spots of Notre Dame's schedule will spend a lot of time on this in the offseason. But to me, it's everyone's going to measure it against Wisconsin and Clemson. But to me, also an ACC team, I think Louisville on senior day in late November before you go to USC to close it out could also be um, – you know, slightly problematic. That's to me. That's that's the trap game that jumps off the schedule to me. And Notre Dame has been very, very good the last three years about not losing the trap games and and rarely even being threatened in the trap games. Yeah, that that one jumps out at me. Uh, Wake Forest a little bit too, just because it's it's right before Wisconsin. Uh, I think yeah. Wake Forest is a better team than they played this year, and I know they'll have a new quarterback because Jamie Newman. Uh, left for Georgia, but that, that's an offense that can be tough to stop at times. And um, I, I know Notre Dame's had their way with Wake, but I just wouldn't write that one off. Um, if Newman so was Sam there, Hartman's I would probably ele- I would elevate that one up. Quite yeah, I mean, Sam Hartman's not bad. He started against so. Notre Dame two years ago, and I mean, it wasn't yeah. The they just offense. beat the crap out of that kid. Oh, they completely beat the crap out of him. But you know, Wake fired their defense coordinator after that game. They weren't firing their offense coordinator. I mean, the, the offense was okay. No. Um, and it was also a thousand degrees outside, and I remember standing on that sideline. And when they did like delivered the final blow to Sam Hartman, uh, I'm standing like directly like at whatever yard line he was, staring like through his helmet. And you just see him like basically like not his eyes roll back, but you just see him kind of collapse on the floor. Like and it wasn't. It was just like I'm exhausted. Like I, I've just been getting my ass kicked all day, and it's 100 <laughs> yeah. degrees here. Like I, I have nothing left to give. Uh, I don't think it'll be quite that hot. Although you know, same time of the year, September, Charlotte. We'll see. Our friend John Hayes can come, and we can have a big podcast party uh, afterward in Bank of America Stadium, and maybe stick around for Matt live show. And Brady the next Let's day. Live it. show. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, that'll be fun. Uh, I think it might be a little more fun in Lambeau a week later, but. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, six ACC games, though. Uh, have they had six in a year yet? I believe the first year they had um, they had four six. six. I, I want to say okay. that in twenty twenty one they have four. Um, so it sort of balances out. And this is, I mean, this is one of the things I talked to Jack Swarbrick about this last summer. This is kind of one of the give and takes with the ACC, where you don't get everything you want. Notre Dame initially just wanted to rotate <clears throat> through a three year cycle where you play everybody, so you you would just have all 14 ACC teams once in a three-year cycle and the ACC basically said no we want an average of five um so that's where they you know that that could have created uh an interesting one-off or a creative home and home against an SEC team but um yeah so then you end up with six sometimes it's not the first time that's happened 
but it you know it balances out next year i believe when they only have four it could be mistaken on their 2021 schedule but i think that's how that shakes out the, the thing about the clemson game it's cool that it's in november it's cool in the sense of like you said it, wisconsin's obviously the big one but like they're you know we're, we're saying this in late january and the season's eight months away but like there's a chance Notre Dame goes into that Clemson game undefeated. I'd say there's a damn near certainty Clemson goes into that game undefeated. Yeah. And we just haven't seen an environment like that, especially late season in South Bend, probably since, what, like 1993, uh, the Florida State-Notre Dame game. Um, and when we talk all the time about just being in that discussion when the rankings come out in November, I mean, that's the type of game and environment where all eyes will be on you. Um, it's just going to be a cool environment. I mean, Dabo Sweeney has never been to Notre Dame. He applied for a job there after Urban Meyer left in 2001 or whatever it was, but he's never been there. Um, there's just so much history between these two programs, and yet they haven't really met a whole lot. And again, we says for Notre Dame has played one top 10 opponent at home in the 10-year Brian Kelly era, when it was Stanford in 18, which wasn't even that good of a game or team. So uh, I'm excited for that one. I know Notre Dame fans were, 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 for the most part, rooting for Clemson to beat LSU. Just so they could, they, the stakes could be even higher for that game, so that they come in with the 39, 40 game winning streak, whatever it would be, and Notre Dame would have the chance to knock them off. But it's still going to be an electric environment, and because it's November, I mean, we've covered November games there. It could be 70 and sunny, it could be 30 and snowy. You have no idea. If you're Notre Dame, certainly you're hoping for the latter, uh, but you just don't know. Well, you, I, for starters, they play five ACC teams in 2021, so I'm mistaken on that. It, I can guarantee you it will not be sunny <clears throat> because the game will be kicking off at 7.42 p.m. There you go. Um, the sun will be down at that point. It will be, I think, one of the very few times where I think everyone associated with Notre Dame, maybe even people who cover Notre Dame, will be like, yeah, night game, I get it. Makes sense. Um, you know, if you're going to have daylight savings, no- daylight savings is the week before. I thought it might have been that week. I just looked it up. <laughs> so if you're Notre correct. Dame, Notre Dame's going to have Clemson come up to the Midwest in November. You're going to have that kickoff at night, uh, and you're going to hope that temperatures are similar to Florida State in 2018, where it was bitter, bitter cold. And I don't think Florida State and Clemson will have a similar want-to-be-there vibe about them, where Florida State was 0.0. But (laughs) that's if you're Notre Dame, that's exactly how you you want it to set up. That's that's the perfect night game for you. Um, So I I would expect... Notre Dame to pound on NBC's door and be like, put this on in prime time. And NBC will be like, great, we thought you were never going to ask. You don't think the ACC Network's going to take it? From NBC? No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah, especially especially after the home slate last year, which was you know kind of one of the more lightly watched, if not the most, um, in sort of the recent times with NBC. They it was just not didn't, good. Yeah. There was not a big marquee game to sell like Georgia in 2017. Um, USC was down. You know, certainly Stanford was up in 2018. Even if that team wasn't great in the end, it was a big game when it happened. Um, so that's it'll be it'll be a fun schedule. Um, you know, I think NBC because Lambeau is a night game. They they get that as well. The Wisconsin game. So it's a it's a really up year for. Oh, is that a night NBC game? I didn't know that. Oh, I you know what? I, I guess I'm not sure that I should say that it definitely is, um, but. I'm assuming that it is uh, because pretty much every Shamrock series, other than Syracuse Army, and I'm, Syracuse. Army, maybe in 2016 was a day game too. But like, what's there's a big difference between Syracuse and Army, and then Wisconsin and Lambeau Field in October. I mean, I think that would be an, that's an awesome night environment potentially. So 
And it's for, from Notre Dame's perspective, it's no great shakes to get back to South Bend, you know, at two in the morning from Wisconsin. That's a that's a pretty easy trip. So I would. Right. It's a great. It's a. It really is a all time travel schedule if you're a Notre Dame beat writer, and I am here for that. Um, you know, you get to go to places you've never been before. You get to go abroad. You know, you when USC in LA on Thanksgiving weekend is like the third or fourth most interesting road trip that you take. <laughs> like, it's a pretty good place to be. And if it's like Notre Dame's either they're going to the playoff, they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl, or and if they drop below that, they're going to San Diego to the Holiday Bowl. So you can tack one of those three eventualities on there too. So I'm, I am really, I'm really up on next year's schedule for uh, for multiple reasons. Um, Here, here's the thing about the Clemson game and. For all the good things we just said about it, and again, this is looking way down the road, but uh, just talking to some Clemson fans and, and people around that program uh, about the potential stakes around that game and how, it, you know, again, if the weather, if certain things break right, you know, maybe that's Notre Dame's time to shine. Uh, to a man, everyone pointed out to me, if you've been following Davos Winnie's program the last five years or so when they've been making these playoff runs, uh, Clemson is one of those teams that, for whatever reason, plays so much better at the end of the year than they do at the beginning. And I think Notre Dame experienced that firsthand in 2015 when they, they let let them off the hook, so to speak, by turning the ball over so much time, mm-hmm. so many times in the hurricane. And next thing you know, Deshaun Watson's in New York as a Heisman finalist and Clemson's five points away from national title. Uh, this year, Trevor Lawrence, the first month of the season was, what's wrong with him? He's throwing all these picks. And he finished the last two months of the season on like a 25 to one touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, this program, reaches its peak and gets better as the season progresses. And that's the scary part if you're a Notre Dame fan. The really scary part, and people inside the Google will tell you this, is holy cow, Travis Etienne's coming back for a senior year. That's not an easy guy to tackle. Why is he doing this to us and to everyone else? I don't know why, but um, yeah, that's not good. No, that is a, uh, man, that's, that's a difficult uh, roster move. Uh, Notre Dame schedule going against Notre Dame because I mean Clemson lost pretty much everyone else they expected to lose if I'm not mistaken you know AJ Terrell yeah, and they expected to lose him left. yeah so that's uh, I'm not sure how Notre Dame matches up with that because I I don't know if I was like you know watching the national championship game and and the Ohio State game and pretty much every time they do sort of a zone read with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne I'm like how the hell are you supposed to defend this? Because um, it's just like both of those guys are so good um, and so explosive. So it's, whew, um, that was that was not, I think, what Clark Lee and company were expecting or wanting to hear from uh, the, I guess, the last bit of NFL defections or returnees because that, um, that definitely swings my opinion of the Clemson game and how Notre Dame can, you know, and look, maybe somebody will sprain an ankle and Travis Etienne won't play, but at full strength, man, that, that ups the Clemson level quite a bit and makes them a lock to be number one going into the season, opposed to like right. probably number one. Right. Right. And again, you know, he's surprised. I think everyone by deciding to come back and he's just so they don't run him nearly as much as most top tier backs get run. Um, people say, Oh, he wants to improve his stock, this, that, I mean, yes, but Unless you're Saquon Barkley, you're not going to be a first-round pick as a running back these days. You're just not. That's just not the yeah. way the league is moving. Um, it took Derrick Henry a few years to, to get untracked and turn into the, the dominant force he is in the NFL today. Um, I think it's more about just managing your workload and, and making sure you don't have too many hits on you when you do get to that next level, which is why I'm surprised 
with a championship ring already on his finger that Travis Etienne uh, decided to come back. But, man, he is – I mean, they didn't run the ball well or much against LSU, but when they did, I mean, he's just such a hard guy to bring down. You saw one play where I think it was Grant Delpit literally ripped his helmet off because there were, like, five guys on him, and they just couldn't bring him down. I sat down with him for a story in the middle of the 2018 season on campus there, and <laughs> I say this in, like, the most platonic way possible, but he was wearing short shorts, and, my God, that that – that guy's thighs are like the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like it was like the size of my torso. I just, how, like, I, I just feel bad for and pity the poor souls who are tasked with trying to tackle him on game day. Cause especially when he's at full speed, I mean, that is a, an 18 wheeler coming for you and that wears on you. Uh, that, that, that's just really, really tough to stop. Yeah. He averaged 13.8 carries per game last season. I mean, that's, and like eight that's or nine yards per not carry, a lot of right? I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, 19 of them, he had 207 carries, 19 of them ended in the end zone, so let's just chalk that up for zero <laughs> contact at all. Um, it, it's, yeah, 207 carries for 16-14, 19 touchdowns, 7.8 yards per carry. I mean, he, you know, their line is rebuilt. I think that's probably the glimmer of hope for Notre Dame that yep. they lost a ton up front. Um, you know, I, I don't think Notre Dame, for how good that defensive line was in twenty seven or 2018, you know, getting to Trevor Lawrence was was a challenge because that line was was very good. Um, yep. Now that's sort of rebuilt quite a bit. So maybe, maybe there's an opportunity for Notre Dame to to stall Clemson a little bit there. Um, you know, T. Higgins is gone, but Justin Ross is back. I think Amari Rogers is back, if I'm not yep. mistaken. He's back. Um, I'm sure that based on uh, the 24/7 Sports composite, the recruiting seems to be going just fine. Um, so uh, yeah, that's one way to put it. Yes, maybe, which maybe is funny because be another... it's never it's it's they've done all this and they've never had anything close to the type of recruiting class they have coming in. Yeah, this just year. think it's how like good they can they had be to now, turn guys but... around or, or, or off. I mean, it was away. Yeah, away. And yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's it all just crazy. adds up to what you know from a Notre Dame beat writer perspective could be the coolest home game atmosphere since 2005 USC. Um, and I'm not sure there's going to be anything that really would have pushed the envelope close. I, yeah, can um, you even, to, like, I forgot about that one when I said Florida State, but, like, yeah, is there anything that, like, yeah, I, I, I just can't think of a, a show, so to speak, at Dame Stadium, Garth Brooks notwithstanding. No, that I mean, that's... close to either of those. No, I mean, I think that's why the game is going to be so awesome, is there's, gonna, there's a, a scarcity of this style of game. Um, I also think that, you know, while Clemson's first trip up there... I did, I'm guessing Clemson fans have not have spent their money on playoff trips and all that, so that you might not have a Georgia or Nebraska situation where there's like a orange takeover, like there was a red takeover. Maybe there will be more than most fans, but if Notre Dame's good, um, I would expect that to be a, a dominant home crowd uh, from the Notre Dame point of view. Not split, not partial. Not anything like right. that. So it's it it has a chance to just be an amazing. I mean, look when USC came here, I, I realized they come here every other year. I didn't. I couldn't tell you there were any USC fans at the game. Obviously, there right. was the the usual allotment, but it just felt like a electric home crowd. And I would expect this to be the same way in Notre Dame's favor. Um, I. I, I just I think it's going to be an awesome uh, environment that night, November seventh. It's it's just around the corner, so we can spend a lot of time talking about it. Yeah, we'll just forget that one game at a time stuff. We're going to go straight yeah. into November seventh, and uh, but no, I would. I mean, 
it's the first time, but it's not once a lifetime. Clemson goes there in 2022. So, like, if right. you're a Clemson fan, it's not this, like, oh, my God, i got to seize the moment. And you just played Clemson Notre Dame fans, two years ago. Exactly. And as passionate as they are, uh, it's not as big of a fan or alumni base as Georgia or most SEC schools. And uh, the other part that always gets overlooked when talking about the Georgia takeover is this was the second game following a season in which Notre Dame went 4-8. Um, like, there was not a whole lot of faith or belief in Brian Kelly and that staff, uh, most of whom were new phases at that point, from this fan base. Yep. And again, number one business school in the country for a reason. If you can take an $80 ticket or a $150 ticket and sell that for 500 bucks, and you're going to go to every other game, uh, you do that and you you, you pad your wallet. So uh, I, I think especially if both teams are undefeated here, that's when you get like the true Notre Dame home field advantage I think we've all been waiting to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Notre Dame depth chart, we did some work on that this week. Um, I don't It was interesting sort of reading the comments from people. Uh, if you haven't checked out the story, you scroll down. It's There it seems to be a, a takeaway that, hey, Notre Dame has a chance to be special this year. But there's also like a, a large number of people that's like, ah, this roster doesn't look that good to me when you put it down on paper. I don't know. With when you read it, if you felt one way or the other, um, I feel even though the the defense lost a lot, I feel like that the that unit should be just as good as it was. Um, maybe it can even take a few steps forward in some areas. Where off, off, to me, offensively, or, or that's where the big questions are going into spring practice at the skill positions. But defensively, maybe it's a Clark Lee uh, boost or bump. I'm not sure, but man, I look at I look at what they bring back defensively, and I. I see no reason why they they can't hack it at the the very high end of, of college football um, the way that a legitimate playoff contender would. Yeah, I go into it feeling worse about the offense than I did going into last year and better about the defense than I did going into last year because that front seven has a lot of guys who have played a lot of football and who understand yeah. Clark Lee and what he's asking of them. The secondary is a bit of a question mark, and we don't know who's going to be coaching them yet because there's still two open staff positions on Notre Dame's coaching staff on January 23rd, but we'll get to that later eventually, maybe, probably. Uh, but Notre Dame's like, TBD for backup running back. Um, that's not good. <laughs> um, wide receiver. Kevin Austin's the first guy you list there. Uh, you know, that guy's had a trouble staying eligible. And so when you're, you're counting yep. on him to be a difference maker, I think that's always a risky proposition. I think Benis Karanik is going to see a lot of time on the field if he's healthy. Um, I just think given his size and given the lack of experience elsewhere, um, that's just a guy who's going to play a lot of football. I don't know if he's going to have a huge season statistically, but uh, Notre Dame very rarely goes to the grad transfer market for skill position players, and the fact they did for him I think is pretty telling. Uh, but but certainly receiver is, is where you look at um, the biggest question mark, so to speak. You return all your starters on the offensive line, assuming they're healthy and assuming they're well-coached, they should be pretty good. Ian Book's a third-year starter, quarterback. You know what you're getting out of him. Uh, if he's standing upright, which he should be, um, I, I think you know running back and receiver are the two positions where you can allow guys to kind of grow and come into their own and take on bigger roles as the season moves along. Uh, but, but looking at those two positions right now, uh, there's not really one guy that, that jumps out at you the, the way even Chase Claypool and Cole Komet did last year where, wow, all right, like this is their go-to guy. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to kind of figure out as spring practice and fall camp moves along. Yeah, I, I completely agree with all that. I mean, I, I want to see how Kyle Hamilton is used a little bit differently as an every down player right. that, um, you know, is never going to come off the field. Um, you know, do they do they sort of 
I don't know if to Isaiah Simmons is a verb, uh, if we can turn that into a Simmonsing. <laughs> like, do they try to do some things like that with him, uh, where they put him in the box sometimes? And, you know, they have him be a single high safety. They put him as a corner against uh, a team that likes to split out a, a, a big-bodied receiver. There's a lot to, lot to do with that. Um, you know, do they consider putting him in as a jump ball threat in the red zone on offense? Um, I'm just sort of curious if Notre Dame can sort of push the envelope with somebody like Hamilton because um, he's got an, a really unique skill set. And I don't want to be – I think we're already past this point, but if you're a Notre Dame fan who's sort of been on board for a while, you remember Jalen Smith's career and think, like, couldn't they have got more out of him when his, his, uh-huh. during his three years here? Um, I don't think Clark who's, who's Lee the Who's the blame for that again, Pete? Yeah, it's not Jalen Smith who's in the Pro Bowl, I believe. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I want to see them get super creative with Kyle Hamilton. And, and maybe that's not this year as a sophomore. Maybe they save that for his junior season. But um, I just think that there's so much more upside to him um, that that can be an unconventional upside. Not just like what, he'll be better he at safety. Play, like, he'll be better in high school, was he... What did he play in high school? He was a safety. Um, he played some receiver, but I don't think it was a whole lot. Um, I remember talking to some people around him. I don't. We were both at the Louisville game. I don't know if you remember. I don't know what stage of the game it was, but he blitzed up the middle and sort of whiffed on the running back. Right, um, right, right. And I remember asking some people about him because I was like, "Huh, you know, I didn't really expect you know that play to go that way." And I was told like that was the first time he's ever blitzed. Like, he never blitzed in high school. They just sort of stuck him at the back and said, like, go make plays when the ball goes in the air. So um, there's just an untapped, unlimited potential with that guy. So I'm curious to see how that shakes out. Um, What happens at Buck linebacker, Jeremiah Wusu-Kormoa? Do they keep him at Rover? I feel like I I would. I would try like hell to find a new Buck linebacker to replace Asmar Bilal and keep the guy who – Tied for the team lead in tackles, I think tied for the team lead in sacks, and had the team lead in tackles for loss, keep him at that playmaking position. And then, yeah, like you said, receiver. I'm working on something on Bennett Skoranek for next week, um, talking to people who know him and sort of have grown up around him. I don't, I don't think that there's much of a feeling from people that know him that anything other than what you described is going to happen that he's going to play a lot and be really productive here um you know this is kind of one of those grad transfers where he expected to go pro i mean it was as likely that he was going to go pro it was more likely well, that he it was, was his fifth year after, right or yeah. yeah fourth year sorry it was more likely he was going to go pro after this year than do a grad transfer when the season started um and now he sort of takes a step back and be like well i have this opportunity that I didn't expect, and in some ways I didn't even want, um, how do I take advantage of it? And I think coming to Notre Dame will be uh, will be a real boost for his profile because, like, look, you can do a million different things at Northwestern. Nobody really pays attention. Um, at Notre Dame, you get on the field and make, start making some big plays. That's, you know, Tom Rinaldi's going to come and do a you know, sit down with you. So it's um, just a completely different stage for him. I'm, I'm curious to see how he reacts to it. But I have... I have pretty high expectations. I guess when he came in, and I, my initial take was like, all right, sort of Cam Smith, Freddie Canteen type, where right. kind of a name and body on the roster. But the more I dig into this kid, man, the more the more I think like he could be challenging for a starting – he's much more likely to be challenging for a starting job than just to be on the roster to help with depth and leadership. Right, and same, same reaction when, when I heard they were getting him. It was 
why do they need him? And then, you know, you see it spelled out for you in the depth chart that you posted. And, oh, yeah, this is why they need him. Uh, I, I asked about Isaiah Simmons earlier because pretty sure he was mostly used as a receiver in high school. And no one really knew what to make of him other than Brent Venables, who has a habit of doing that and is from the same neck of the woods that Isaiah Simmons uh, grew up in, in Olathe, Kansas. So um, he got in on him, I think, in January before the February signing period. And that obviously worked out extremely well for all parties. Um, yes. And you know, Travis Etienne was the same way, by the way. He was also a January addition um, after they won their first title at the end of the 16th season. Tony Elliott went and got him. Um, out of Louisiana, I think he had initially committed to AM or there was some fallout there. But uh, yeah, it's it's to go back to earlier point. I mean, to, to, to see Clemson now with the number one ranked recruiting class after doing all the damage they've done on the field is is a little alarming if you're a fan of any other program in the country. But uh, Kyle Hamilton, I think when you look, I mean, to hear that anecdote you just shared about that's the first time you ever blitz. Like, wow, okay, uh, there's a lot to work with here. There's a lot yeah. to grow. But, you know, if we saw this much out of him as a freshman, um, can't wait to see with some actual solid coaching what he's going to be do, what he'll be able to do the next two years, um, hopefully moved in a variety of different roles. Um, Brian Kelly actually was in Mobile, Alabama for Senior Bowl practices yesterday um, and gave a few interviews. And I saw one in which uh, Christian Daniels, uh, who has himself on Twitter, is the football operations of Mesa Community College, says, Today at the Senior Bowl, Notre Dame head coach Brian Kelly stated they don't really look for high school cornerbacks. They look for wide receivers and move to cornerback. This shows position transfer is active in elite-level football scouting and recruiting. Also tell that tells athletes to be open to the idea of changing positions. Uh, if there's one thing Brian Kelly's done very well, I think, in 10-plus years, it is uh, projecting guys out to different positions or moving positions and seeing that work out really well. I mean, C.J. Prosize is the obvious one that comes to mind. James Angualo is another. Uh, but uh, that's an area, Jerry Tillery, an area where – uh, mm-hmm. Brian Kelly has always really had a niche for, and um, Troy Nicholas, Kyle Ham- yeah, Troy, yeah, of course. How can we forget? We gotta get him on the pod uh, on the subject. Yeah. Of Troy Nicholas <laughs> <laughs> might be the longest pod ever, but um, but yeah, I mean, Kyle Hamilton's the safety. Uh, I, I would put that almost a name only, just because I think there's so many ways you can get creative with a talent uh, that is that young and still has that much football to learn defensively. The stage is set. It's down to the best of the best as we crown the football champion. Don't miss out. Get in on all the DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to get all your big game bets in. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including countless prop bets and football squares. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You do not want to miss that. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code FAST. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code FAST. To get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like his position should just be floating. I mean, it's, he could... <laughs> 
He could be S slash CB slash OLB slash WR. Um, I would be fine with that. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I, I hope that Notre Dame sort of gets to a point where he's got the defense down cold again, maybe not this season, but his junior year, where he can then sort of like, all right, what can we do with this generational talent that we just never thought we could do with anybody because we didn't expect to be coaching somebody like this who's even better than we hoped he would be. So I'll be interested in that down the road. Um, I guess this one uh, one item from last weekend, uh, the Super Bowl uh, matchup set, Chiefs 49ers, some Notre Dame connections there. Um, I think you and I are both uh, major proponents of Mike McGlinchey as uh, generally an awesome guy. Sheldon Day was great to deal with too. And then I think the uh, the Super Bowl matchup that no one's talking about is that uh, Jed Jed York has emerged victorious over Jim Harbaugh um, from that <laughs> from that coaching uh, drama from a few years ago. So well done, Jed. It only took the third different coach since Jim Harbaugh to get there, but better late than never. And still... I'm saying, hey, how many coaches has oh, Jim Harbaugh had on his staff since he I was, was going to say a lot, early, a lot earlier ahead of schedule than Michigan is under Jim Harbaugh. So, um, who would have thought that? Especially last year when they had what the second pick in the draft. Um, but yeah, Mike McGlinchey, Sheldon Day, both two-time captains, I believe. Uh, both right. awesome guys to to be in the locker room and to deal with from a media perspective. I have mine, but I'll ask you first. Do you have a best memory or, or, or story from dealing with either of them? And I know you knew both of them a lot longer than I did going back to the high school days, but uh, what do you got for us? Uh, I remember going driving down to Indianapolis to do something with Sheldon, and um, I think Carol Boyd, his mom, gave me a hug. Mm-hmm. We had never met, um, <laughs> so that was that was pretty memorable. You know, Sheldon was not really the most outspoken guy. Like, I enjoyed talking to him, but he wasn't somebody that could just, like, talk. He wouldn't just, like, talk for the sake of talking. Right. Um, he didn't, He didn't like, suffer dumb questions either, um, which I appreciate and like. Uh, McGlinchey... Uh, let's see. The first time I talked to him was probably post game Music City Bowl. Is that right? Um, yeah, but replacing Christian Lombard, right? Yeah, and uh, he. I don't know. If, I don't know what curse word he dropped in the post game interview outside the <laughs> locker room, but I'm like, I like where this is going, and sure enough, uh, it went there. So they they were both great to deal with. Um, yeah, big fans of both of them. Uh, you know, Sheldon has had. I think sort of a, a rocky NFL road in terms of getting where he needs to be and being traded and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, hey, they're both in the Super Bowl now. McGlinchey's, you know, been playing a ton, uh, basically a starter from day one at right tackle for the 49ers. So it's good on them. I think it's it's be really cool to watch them, um, you know, next weekend in the Super Bowl. I don't, I mean, obviously McGlinchey's playing a lot. I don't follow the 49ers enough to know how much Sheldon Day actually plays or doesn't, but, um, they will both be there. Yeah, my uh, Sheldon Day memory similar to yours. Uh, I called up his mother for a story because she was uh, turning into a Showtime superstar. Uh, yes. Watching over her baby boy and Terry Jillery or whatever the, the nickname was. You got it, Terry Jillery. Um, Terry, okay. And uh, I called her up and she was great, awesome. And then I see her at Pro Day and I just go to like introduce myself and exact same thing. She gives me a big hug and she's talking. And as she's like 
won't stop talking to me. Everett Golson comes out to speak for like the first time in however many years <laughs> at Notre Dame. And I was like, nice to meet you, Carol. I got to run and talk to Everett and see what his life's been up to the last two years. Um, so that was a good one. Uh, you know, Sheldon, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. He was one of those guys who was very charismatic and engaging. And I always enjoyed interviewing him, but I'd always like listen to my recorder after I'd be like, wait, he said like three words. He didn't actually say anything, which good on him. That's like the way to do it with us. But, um, you never felt like he was just trying to get through it. He was just very, very sharp and saying however little he needed to say with a smile on his oh, face. Oh, I got it. Okay, I got a Sheldon Day. I th- oh, I, I wait. I was going to say a... the one too. Go, you okay, go. Maybe first. this is, might be the same. Okay, I, this, I think this was a spring practice interview session, and he came out wearing a Nike um, sweatshirt. Adidas, Adidas, Adidas. Oh, it was Adidas. It was okay, the old one. you remember the old this one, yeah. story better. Than, yeah, they had already switched to Under Armour, and Notre Dame made him turn around and go back to the locker room and change before he could come back out. And he was just like, what's the deal with this? Um, so I enjoyed that as, like, he was sort of uh, an example of some of the absurdity of college college sports branding and athletic apparel. Well, you have a good one. I'll let you tell it because you experienced it, and I heard it secondhand, but from a friend of the pod, Tom Mendoza, involving Sheldon Day. Oh, okay. Uh, so I was doing something on Sheldon and his work off the field academically at Notre Dame. And uh, he was in the Mendoza School of Business. And there was a moment where Tom Mendoza, who was you know the benefactor's names on the building, um, had reached out to him, I think, on social media. And they had connected. And I asked Sheldon about that. And he was like, yeah, I didn't know. Like, he was still alive. I thought that was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like. You know, maybe this was like his cousin or something like I, I don't know. I was confused. I was like, no, that's actually the Tom Mendoza from the Mendoza <laughs> School of Business. He's like, okay, that was pretty cool. I'm like, all right, thanks. Um, yeah, but it was. Uh, I I enjoyed dealing with both those guys during their their time at Notre Dame. Um, like you said, two time captains, basically exactly what you would want Notre Dame to to be represented. Uh, how you would want them to be represented. The the you know how well they spoke of the university and sort of where their careers have gone from there so i, I believe the last time i saw sheldon was over the summer um he came back for notre dame summer camp um as some older kind of recent alumni did to, to help work the camp with mike elston i thought that was pretty cool um so that uh yeah great both those are great guys i will uh be pulling hard for the 49ers in the super bowl uh week from week from sunday the uh, Mike McGlitchie was also a phenomenal high school basketball player. He played with Emil Jefferson and a couple other big-time players uh, in college and I think in the NBA today. Uh, one funny, I thought pretty telling anecdote for Mike McGlinchey, aside from the fact that he's the only player on record to say he's coming back in season and actually come back, so he didn't yeah. you know, completely be us, <laughs> uh, was I think it was signing day, the first early signing day in December of 2017. I was there and I stuck around after and they had just unveiled the Joe Moore Award statue, which, if anyone's seen it, it's, I mean, it, it's like a, a larger-than-life statue of five offensive linemen. And McGlinchey was passing through, and he was like, what do you think of that? And I was like, yeah, congrats. You know, I said something along the lines of, like, do you expect it coming, or do, do you think you'd win it? And, you know, we forget, you know, when these guys are, are in front of cameras, they're, you know, they're personable good guys, but they're the biggest competitors in the world. Otherwise, they wouldn't be as successful as they are in the football field. And when I said, did you expect, you know, did you expect it? Or were you surprised? It was like a completely different person came out of Mike McGlinchey and he gets a serious face, just goes, yeah, watch the film. And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
Yeah, I love that that line actually made winning the Joe Moore Award, which was sort of like new, and it wasn't sure how you win it or who votes on it. Like, the criteria of it were a little bit squishy back then, but like that McGlinchey and Nelson sort of made that a huge That's one of the few O-lines that's won it that I think genuinely deserved it. Now, I think Oklahoma got shafted by not being a finalist that year, but like LSU this year I think won it. They were not the best offensive line in college football. Iowa won it the year before Notre Dame did, and they had a terrible year. There, There have been some questionable ones. I mean, Alabama got it in 15. They were really good. They won the title. But Notre Dame, with, with that line, with all those guys who end up going to the NFL and are making a lot of money, uh, that was mm-hmm. one of the few I think we can unequivocally say they got right. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's wrap up on uh, Notre Dame's not-quite-complete staff. Um, still an opening at cornerbacks coach. I am sort of on board with Durante Jones, who is – had a kind of a journeyman-like career as the cornerbacks guy most recently in Cincinnati where he was there for two years, uh, was with the Miami Dolphins as a sort of assistant assistant coach before that, um, had been in Wisconsin, had been in Hawaii. Um, the Notre Dame connections there, he was at UCLA when Clark Lee was there. Um, hmm. So Clark Lee should, even though it was a decade ago, should have some understanding of like what you know this guy was about before he popped on the interview list. Uh, and then also... I believe when he was uh, Durante was in Miami and then went to Cincinnati, it was sort of at the urging or recommendation of Vance Joseph, who's a relative of Notre Dame safeties coach Terry Joseph. And if you're a cornerbacks coach, <laughs> if you can get along with the defensive coordinator and the safeties coach, who's the passing game defensive coordinator, that's pretty much those are the boxes you need to check most. Um, so that's that's the guy that I would keep a very uh, very serious. Uh, sort of look on right now. I know Christian uh, Parker was one that had popped up earlier. Uh, tight ends, I I wish I had more for this podcast to offer on Notre Dame's future of the tight ends coach, but honestly, <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure where they're going right now. Yeah, I, I, did, I had not heard that about Durante Jones. I know we both talked a little bit in the last pod about Christian Parker, and I think I thought the fact that uh, Texas A&M had hired TJ Rushing as their secondary coach this week uh, maybe provided an opening for him to come to Notre Dame because you don't want to get in a bidding war with all that Texas oil money uh, at A&M. But uh, I had not heard Durante Jones. I've got nothing for you on tight ends. I don't know <laughs> if they're hiring a tight ends coach, if they're hiring a tight end slash tackles coach, and then they'll move Quinn to the interior. I don't know. Um, it's, it's strange. We talked about this off air a little bit, but with the early signing period, just really throughout college football, there's just like this lack of urgency this time of the year, which I'm not exactly complaining about, but, uh, you know, LSU, the defending national champions, lost their defense coordinator and lost Joe Brady, who for all intents and purposes was their offense coordinator. And, you know, I don't know if they're anywhere near hiring who they need to hire for those positions. And it's just kind of, okay, whatever. We've already got our class signed. Um, so I don't know how long this will drag out. Um, Notre Dame has those two positions to fill. They have director of football operations to fill, which I imagine would come from within, but that would provide another opening. But I don't think they'll get to that till like March. Um, yeah, I guess we're all just kind SID. of in a see mode right now. That's it. That's too. That's too. We're. Uh, I, I'm in the dark about that one. You might know more than I do, and I'm sure our, our listeners are chomping at the bit to find out who's going to be great. You know, on LSU, I'm. We're all keeping an eye on Notre Dame dad, Bo Pelini, are we not? I mean, is the, de- is the defensive coordinator there? <laughs> I believe uh, football, football put dad. that out, and then they and and then they and then they backtracked it a little bit. So, oh, that's so disappointing. Bases either way. I know they had our Bryles going to uh, Missouri State too, and that did not happen. So, mm. uh, who would have thought? Interesting. 
Well, I think we are, we're sort of on our weekly schedule here for the offseason. Um, we'll have guests on future podcasts. It's uh, amazing. As I was talking to one of our editors yesterday about, you know, should be covering college basketball in the Notre Dame beat. He's like, you know, Notre Dame football is kind of a 12 and a half month a year job. So I think this podcast can certainly go year round as well, just on a, on a weekly basis. We'll have some guests coming up uh, on future shows. I, can it be revealed now that uh, your your home run potential guests have shot us down? Can, are, are you comfortable Well, talking he's about busy that? filming, and whatever said movie is out, and he's doing the promotional tour, they said to come back. So I don't want to burn any bridges okay. just yet because it, be, it, it would be an A-plus list guest. Let me put it that oh, way. Of course. Even better than Brando and Feldman. Yeah. <laughs> way, way up there. So... Uh, but we will have future guests, uh, podcasts sort of on a weekly rotation, um, react to the news as we see fit. Um, you know, so there will be plenty happening around Notre Dame, even in a, uh, a quiet time like it is right now. So until hey, next maybe week. Maybe we could get new new investor Matthew McConaughey now that we Ooh. technically work for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's possible. Maybe we could, uh, we could they dig play Texas a in a bowl game. We could get the Minister of Culture. Oh, God, man. We were so close with the Camp Bowl. Could have been a possibility. <laughs> so until our next great. podcast, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. You've been listening to another episode of The Shamrock. Thanks for being with us.